You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome to the Sacred Collective. Uh, as you may be able to tell, this is not the typical opening voice. This is Brian's other half, Amanda. But anyways, our topic for today is my theology growing up and what were some positive things you took from it then or you carry with you now, especially if you are very different in your views from how you grew up. So uh, we'll just do a roll call, go around and see who's all here. I'm Caleb. Amanda. I'm Kimmy. Brian. Joshua. Eric. Yeshua? Yeshua's here. <laughs> There's some gin involved in tonight's conversation. Guilty! <laughs> a little bit. A lot of gin. Anyway. Makes the best conversations. Gin and juice in the hood. Okay. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking over for Caleb. Oh, yeah. That's true. Okay. Lead us. Lead us, O faithful leader. Oh, me. Okay. Yeah. Um... Do you want me to go first, or is there anyone that has anything that jumps out at them? I would say something for me. I grew up Assemblies of God, uh, now UCC, so very different. Uh, one way more conservative, one way more liberal. I think uh, something for my faith or theology that I still appreciate with that, and I don't know if part of it was just because of growing up in a small town paired with that denomination, or it was the denomination itself but I really appreciated the sense of community there's a lot of churches or denominations now that will say they're very community oriented and and want to be involved in where they live but they are only involved if there's big events the community's having and they might just join in or they want the community to come into their four walls and or even come on their front lawn for like an outdoor event and they think that's reaching out uh but the church i grew up in they had um a couple of of vans like the 12 18 passenger vans Mm -hmm. and there was a family this family didn't even live in town so where i grew up there is a bunch of small towns so there was a lot of people who drove like an hour 45 minutes to church every sunday and every wednesday and there was a family, they lived an hour away, and they came early every Wednesday and drove the van. So if anyone, families, you know, kids who didn't have a ride, they would go and pick them up for church on Wednesday, and then they would drop them off. Um, or our church would help with what was called the community banquet, which um, I feel like it's kind of a similar feel um, for what Josh has mentioned, for like like the um, serving meals to the community. So it was once a... I think, like, once a month that, you know, our families would do that. But, um, but yeah, I think just actually going out into the community instead of just saying it's a community event, but you have to come to us. Uh, So, I mean, I feel like that's something that a lot of, a lot of churches or just a lot of people in general can do more of. Yeah. Running off that, that reminds me, like, to talk about community because... And I talk about this a lot, that to me, church in Christianese is the way that I can appreciate that and embrace that is kind of uh, paralleling it with the word community, with the term community. 
Um, I think that that's where the importance is, is in the, the humans in that community, maybe not necessarily the the reverence and the doctrine and all that, but um, I know that uh, my youth group used to do these, like, lo- I guess they'd be called local missions, but we would go, we would, like, have... There's incentive for the kids because we would, like, go go-karting or, like, we'd all hang out and have a sleepover or something, but then on the off days we would go... Uh, do like essentially like a Habitat for Humanity type thing, and like we'd go into our neighbors' house. Like a lot of the kids were from the youth group from the church, and they needed uh, they needed a, a wheelchair ramp, you know, because their parent was you know bound to a wheelchair now, or they needed a, a roof patched up or something. And we would go around and you know and and fix the things that needed to be fixed. I don't know honestly what the motivation was for everyone involved. Like for me, it was probably to impress the Sky Man. <laughs> to impress Yahweh, but the, the, I think you should just call him Skyman from now on. Yeah, that, I do. It sounds like a superhero. Skyman, yeah, Skyman, <laughs> sees oh all. You need to make a T-shirt with that. <laughs> Seriously, I worship Skyman. The theme song Man. has to be Amazing Grace. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much gin going on. But we, um, I, I haven't had any yet. Kayleen is fully sober. For I'm still. <laughs> But, I have, I so is Amanda. I'm, and I'm no, still, I got Amaretto. And, oh, I'm, just and I'm still She's saying that you need to have some, some t-shirt. I on there. But no, you're She's right. Sober, sober. But yeah, we would, you know, in the end, the the effect was doing good for the community and, and helping people who needed help. And they would a lot of times, you know, by the end of the project, which might take a week, like we were there for a while, like mm-hmm. we're kids in high school, you know, working, doing construction work and stuff, but it would take a while, but we, we'd end up with a finished product that helped somebody. You know, which, yeah, which is a great thing, I think. And even though I hold a lot of resentment towards the Southern Baptist Church, that's a great thing that that they Mm -hmm. encouraged people to do, I think. I think for me, um, like Amanda, we grew up in the Assemblies of God and we actually met each other at an Assemblies of God college way way back in the day. Um, And the reason I left the Assemblies of God was was their theology and... I don't I, I don't like how they say that they're accepting and they don't really accept all people. But I will say going back, I, I, and I'll, I've actually said this to, because most of my relatives still on both sides of my family are predominantly Assemblies of God still. And I always say that to me, the Assemblies of God is a great baby denomination, meaning for someone just getting into their faith um, in Jesus, it's it's a good kind of, grounding for faith. I mean, I was... I, I do have to say, like, churches like Catholicism and Lutheranism that do the catechism and do things like that are really beneficial because it teaches you actually the Word and the Scripture, where in the Assemblies of God and other evangelical denominations, they say that the Bible's important, but they don't have that rigor. Mm. Um, like, I mean, in the UCC does confirmation now, too, um, but that was one thing, like, my dad, who grew up Lutheran, said that confirm like, the Assemblies of God, you know, Baptists, whatever, they don't, you take the Bible seriously, but you don't take it seriously enough, because we don't do confirmation. We're like, oh, just come to church, let's have fun, and whatever, and we'll tickle your ears with with Scripture. But, and that's, that's what they would say, to tickle your ears, but... <laughs> Like a spiritual wet willy? <laughs> pretty much, pretty oh much. Gosh. Oh, wow. That That's just a happened. Sky Man superpower. <laughs> I, got, I got Josh's spit in my ear. That's okay. I deserved it. A little personal. Um, wow, that was fun. Yeah. 
But that happened I think, two hours ago. I, th- <laughs> I think. That, <laughs> I think the reason I enjoyed growing up in that tradition is I actually got in a, a conversation with one of my coworkers who wasn't really raised in the church or anything either, and he was saying like. He got into a lot of trouble growing up, just hanging out with the wrong people, like hanging out on the, um, just just doing bad things. And I said, well, yeah, I grew up in a church where on Friday nights I would go to like prayer gatherings at my church, or I would go to like we would go to like uh, Grand Slam if you know what Grand Slam is. It's like a big place. It's like an arcade, you know, mini golf, uh, soft, like softball stuff like that. And I said, I feel like a lot of times I wasted my life. And he was like, no, I wish I had that. I wish I got to go do fun things like that growing up. Um, and I and then it kind of just dawned on me. I'm like, it wasn't really that when you're like junior high, high school. It's not even really about the importance of faith. It's just being around people your age. Having that community. Having that community. Mm-hmm. And they never, I never, it was Makes never sense. told to me that it was like community. It was like, oh, be with other people your age. Be with you know we'll talk about god we'll hang out you know we'll have breakfast whatever but i look back on all those things that i did throughout my my teen years and that really impacted me and i think that's one thing that evangelicalism does better than any other does better than any mainline is their youth groups are phenomenal um and i i can say i can't say for all ucc churches or Lutherans, or Presbyterians. But I know a lot of people growing up who were Presbyterians, who were Lutherans, who were Catholics, who actually came to, like, some of the God Youth Nights because it was fun, mm-hmm. or Baptist Youth Nights when I worked at a Baptist church. Because it was fun. We would play Xbox. We would go skating. We would go play kickball or whatever. And it wasn't even about Jesus. It was about hanging out. And that's what kids as the teenagers want. They don't want you to in, indoctrinate them about God. They want you to say, hey, you, I care about you. Uh, they you know, just want wanna, a place to belong. You, they want a yeah. place to belong because, I mean, look at our society today. It's so hard for people to belong, especially high schoolers. So mm-hmm. I will say that impacted me in such a powerful way, even though I, I, I could not ever go back because of their theology. But I think their youth groups... Children's churches are phenomenal, and most Protestant churches need to catch up on that. Yeah, it sounds like we're all referencing community from maybe different angles, like yeah. internally or ex- like helping people externally, or just helping the people inside of your your group, your youth, group, you know, your uh, your church body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christian. that's it's interesting. I I'm just kind of thinking about it and. Not to not to sound like I'm just jumping on the bandwagon, but um, I think something you just said, Brian, kind of made me think about it in a different way. Like like looking back, I never really like thought about it critically like this. Like, what effect did youth group have on me? But kind of thinking about it, like, there's been a lot of thoughts of like, oh, like that church was just like not theologically rich. It was just like hang out and play Xbox and like it's easy to have a negative view of that as like being like watered down Christianity and like not really like teaching or learning but I think for me I think it's something that I took for granted a lot maybe which is kind of strange because I grew up homeschooled so my like friend community base was church youth group 
Um, so like, <laughs> you were homeschooled, Eric? Yeah, man. Um, from first grade through high school. What the coolest so, homeschooled kid I've ever met. So I was homeschooled for one year. And those stand. motherfuckers still the weirdest people I've ever met. <laughs> They're super weird. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's like I, we would do like um, there was like a homeschool co-op group of people. So there'd yeah. be like we could go like get together. Like I remember we did a lot of cool stuff. Like we'd go to the symphony and the museum and kind of stuff with like these groups of homeschoolers. But it was like I always disliked going to them because of the other kids that were like just weirdos. Right. You go to the museum, the strip club. <laughs> no, never that. Um, no, but I think looking back now, kind of thinking about it like this, I think I got a lot of good just kind of community peer interaction with yeah. church youth group. Um, and I think I also don't think I got a lot of like feeling of like indoctrination for my church. I grew up in BGC churches. Um Baptist General Conference. Okay. Yes. Okay. Hey, uh, which is now converge worldwide. Sounds yeah, like no. a cult. Yeah. Um, sounds and so I think, I think also due to the fact that I was homeschooled, I think I got a lot of just kind of like my awareness of theology from my parents. And they were not at all like indoctrinating. It was like, I think I got a really good... Indoctrinating? Yeah. Like I got just kind of like a good foundation okay. of like... We believe in God, we believe in Jesus, kind of this stuff. And it was kind of like, that's the, the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's something that I've, that I've never, I've never like questioned or doubted just like the base, the base assumption and belief that there's, there's a higher power. There's something mm-hmm. else like, like there's some sort of intentionality in the universe. Do you still think Jesus was God? Um, that's a whole that's, other. I know that's a that very a, deep. Yeah. I'm just. I'm so curious. Like, I, I know that I shouldn't be asking. Like, this is deep. How does this about? I think that's a future about, topic. I'm making this. Like, yeah. yeah. Write that one down, Amanda. That's. I, a, I, I think. I think the the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus mm-hmm. are great topics for future okay. conversations. I like that. You're like a politician right now. <laughs> I think that's a good question. I'll address what later. Office are you running for, Eric? Um. I, I don't know. You don't have to answer. I was just... That reaction was enough to satisfy yeah. what I was trying um, to get to. So I think, like, I'm... One of the things, I guess, that I appreciate uh, from my, like, the theology that I got growing up was that it wasn't, like, here's the absolute rules and here's the absolute truths and here's... And it was... Or at least it didn't feel like that. It was, like, kind of like that's what it was talking about. Like, it wasn't... Obviously, it wasn't like, we're not sure, but we think that maybe God is real. I mean, it was talked about, like, we believe in God. Right. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't, like, super strict, and it was it was kind of just, like, that foundation. And then it was like, well, what does what does this mean? And it was it, it an environment, I think, both at home and at the churches that I was at. It was kind of an environment where it wasn't like you have to have all of these beliefs or else you're out. It was kind of like, I think it probably also kind of just like with what you were saying, Brian, like it was a place to just have kids like get together and not try to like force them to believe something, but also not try to like be like, 
whatever, we believe everything, kind of. And so, I think, I think it was it was good looking back. I think that's something that I appreciate and maybe have taken for granted is just like the the ability to have like peers and just kind of like a a group of people to just like have in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me jumping back in like I can just go through my go through all these times that we did things um, one thing in Minnesota that they did is Minnesota Youth Convention and in Minnesota so for those listening outside of Minnesota which hopefully there's many um, oh we got international listeners in, maybe. in mid-October um, and I'm sure other states have this but in mid-October there's um two days off like a Thursday and Friday that it's called Minnesota Education something or another where all public schools are off because it's like a teachers in service like there's like a convention for them every year and in Minnesota in the um, some is a god they always do youth convention over that time and it's usually always in Rochester I don't know why but they rent out the Civic Center and I remember always going down there, and it was always one of the hot... That and, like, camp, like, summer camp. But what was always so fun about youth convention is kids from all over the state would come into southern Minnesota, and it was only... We would get there Thursday afternoon, and it would end Saturday morning. And I remember, you know, it's like... Because when you're, like, 13, 14, 15, you're, you're happy because you're like, I'm away from my parents, you know, and I'm away right. from my siblings... And not only, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to the church for a few hours. It's like, I'm actually like an hour or two, you know, hour, hour and a half away from my family. Like, this is awesome. Like, I have this kind of sort of... Freedom! Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Freedom! I have this freedom. And, but I remember sitting there in this convention center down in Rochester, like, literally looking all these years back and saying, like, I don't buy what you're selling. Like, I don't, like, I buy in Jesus... But I don't buy, like, the theology. Like, I remember people up there, I don't know why, but and I'm dating myself in my age, but Marilyn Manson did something. I think it was the Antichrist Superstar or one of his other, or Mechanical Animals album where the rumor going around was, like, he took a rib out so he could do fellatio on himself. And oh, right. Yeah, I remember, I remember that rumor. Right? It's a very diplomatic way of saying that. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, but so it, that was a huge... <laughs> There was a huge... You can edit that one out. No. There was a huge rumor going on that. And, like, everyone... Like, also, all the kids... I mean, that was kind of before... Well, not kind of, but it was before cell phones and tweeting and Snapchat was popular. And I remember just sitting there and, like, the the speaker in front of thousands... There was probably at least 5,000 of us kids there. And he was just saying how, like, God hates Marilyn Manson and how God is so disappointed with people and sin and all stuff. And, like, everything in my head was, like, going off, like a little, like, siren, being like, that is not what how God is. God doesn't hate anyone. God mm-hmm. doesn't, you know. So it, so it was like this war kind of raging on in my head saying, I know that I like this community. I'm glad that I have this freedom. I'm glad I'm away from my family, yada, yada, yada. But this theology that you're feeding me is absolute garbage because the God you're preaching that you say loves everyone, you're saying up on stage in front of thousands of kids that God hates this person and that this person is going to go to hell. 
And so kind of that's why I have a love-hate relationship with that denomination that I was raised in because their theology was so toxic, but yet what they did for youth <laughs> was so great. So, Babies with bad waters. Yeah. So what happened with you? Uh, I was raised Catholic, and I was an altar boy. I know what you want to ask, and no, it didn't happen to me. Um, Thank God. <laughs> in my my town was so small that Thanks, um, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, <laughs> my town was so small that we broke up into factions. So there were literally the Lutheran kids, the Catholic kids, the weirdos who were Baptists. And that was like the churches, my town. We didn't have anything else. Um, the Lutheran Church was the largest, very Scandinavian population. Catholic Church was the second largest. But we all, I mean, even when I was a kid, it was a matter of identity. Like, if you were Catholic, you hung out with Catholic kids, and Lutherans hung out with Lutheran kids. And I, Lutheran, like my best friend was a Lutheran kid. Um, but most of my friends were Catholic. Um, so that was that was interesting. Like, even even the fact that my, my first three girlfriends were all Catholic. Like, just because those were the people I hung out with. Because we were excused from school every Wednesday to go do catechism. Oh, yeah. So every Wednesday we'd leave school at like 1.45 and be... We'd, it was uh, two blocks from the from the school to my church. So we would walk to down there. And then in high school it was maybe ten blocks, not even eight blocks. And so we'd walk from the high school down to... Well, it, for junior high, because our high school and junior high were the same, because we were a small town. Um, but it was an identity sort of thing, you know? Um, but, I mean, I went to catechism, you know, uh, every Wednesday for 12 years, you know? Um, it was confirmed, um, did a lot of... So I was an altar boy, so I probably served two times a month. Um, so that entails getting dressed up in the robes, um, either holding the cross and walking down in front of the priest or holding uh, the Gospels and walking in front of the priest. Uh, you sit down, then when there's a Gospel reading, you get up and grab the Gospels and actually hold it for the priest to get it, and then you bring the sacraments, so you bring the cup. and uh, So the chalice, the uh, a cloth to wipe it down, and the wine and the water, and so they mix the water and the wine in front of you. And so we do that, and then um, you would also lead the priest out of the procession so there's always two altar well there are altar people now because there's there's altar ladies now but there used to just be altar boys when I was there there's no ladies when I was an altar boy um, and for people who aren't familiar what's catechism catechism is basically religious um, uh, studies so. so would you have like would that be in place like would you have bible study instead of youth group or do you still have like something parallel to, to like a, a youth group sort of Wednesday night thing that protestants do uh, it was it was Wednesday during the during school hours, mm-hmm. um, but it was it wasn't it was so class, sociable. It was, it was classroom more... teaching. It was sociable, but it was classroom teaching. Um, we, they called it religious studies, but we only studied one religion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, the religious, uh, yeah, we, yeah. Um, and my priest, it really Catholic churches. I guess it's like any church. Um, Catholic churches is different because it's kind of the same everywhere. But it really depends on your priest. If you have a good priest, you have a pretty good experience. If you have a shitty priest, you have a shitty experience. And the priest I grew up for most of them, the first priest I had was a very good priest, um, Father Halloran, uh, bless his soul. Uh, he was fantastic. He was really good to my family. Um, 
So my parents were both divorcees, getting remarried in a small town. Um, oh, one from the Twin Cities and one from a little town that was a little bit bigger than the town we were in. So big social gossip news. Um, but he was really good. And then the priest I had my whole life for everything, um, he was he was fine, but he was just mailing it in. Um, he, yeah, he was just okay. Um, he was very misogynistic. Very patriarchal, so like he didn't really want women to really have a say in anything. Didn't want women to speak in church, stuff like that. Even sisters, he wasn't really by sisters. I mean none. Um, he wasn't really interested in that. So like he was pretty rigid and like I, I don't know. I think if you wanted to be involved in you were as involved as you wanted to be in the Catholic Church. Like nothing was ever forced. Nothing was ever put down your throat. Most kids didn't give a shit. Um, but I was one of the only kids who actually wanted to be a priest or thought about taking a vocation. Mm. So I spent a lot more time with the priest than other kids did. Um, and then uh, my sophomore year of high school, after I was confirmed, I became an evangelical. Um, that is so shocking to no me. No one saw that coming. Yeah. No, it really, like, honestly, going from Catholicism to evangelicalism. Yeah. And I went to Protestantism. I went to, like, Young Earth Creationism. Uh, that is funny. I was, I was reading Ken Ham books. Like oh, answers and Ken Ham. Jump out that window. I, I had, you should, jump out you could have hung out with some of the homeschoolers that I knew. I had all, yeah. <laughs> I had the whole thing. Hey, bro, I grew up in Kentucky, like, 30 minutes from the Creation Museum. So, by like, don't talk about Ken Ham right did now. Did you see <laughs> that it just got destroyed by a flood for real? No. What? Yeah. The ark. Got destroyed by a flood. Wow. <laughs> the flash flood a couple weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> that's See, shocking. Like, he's like outside of my realm at all. I like don't even have a contact. My qu- that, so thank you. Can he? Do you, do you, yeah. you don't know who he is? So he's the he, he answers the Genesis. He's from the Creation Museum in Kentucky, oh. right? Which he yeah. started. Yeah. He started. Yeah, he started it. He started. Well, I've heard about this Creation Museum, but I he he, that's de- really he debated Bill Nye the Science Guy a couple years ago, which I don't think should have ever happened because <laughs> what it did is it, it wasn't good for either of them. No, it, no, well, what it did was it legitimized him yeah. as, as a true right. scientist, yeah. uh, which what he was saying was nonsense, right? And Bill to Nye, engage with a debate or in a debate with someone. Legitimizes um, them to yeah. some extent. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm crazy, Kayleen. Yeah, I love Bill Nye, but it, that was that was yeah. no. There's like there's yeah, like yeah. a diorama with like Adam and Eve and like a dinosaur. Yeah, he thinks dinosaurs and men, him, humans walk together. Like, like super well, young. because the Earth like, is six thousand years old. Well, and yeah, why why he goes why he goes to that because I know people who like him as well. But why he goes to that is because there's this. Part in scripture, I forget what Old Testament thing where it says, I think I forget who in the Old Testament walked with great beasts. So people make the stretch and make the interpretation that that had to be dinosaurs. Well, Maybe Levi- it was Levi- an Levi- elephant, and everyone was just short back then. You never know. Right. Well, everyone everyone thinks that Goliath was like this uh, giant, foot, like 12, 12, foot. 12 foot person. But back then, like history will show you that people were in the Middle East like that, and Israel were shorter. So if someone was like a basketball player, like seven foot two or seven foot four, even six feet, yeah, they would be mm-hmm. a freaking giant. And so people, you know, take the story out of context. So I don't think it was dinosaurs. It could have been like a man said, an elephant or like, I can't, some other bigger animal, a camel. They could be like, oh my god, what is this? Well, I don't remember the source. We don't know. The, it, average, yeah. the average Roman was four six. 
That's a very short person. I mean, yeah. look at their white yeah. look at their shields, look at their what they wore for armor. It, uh, we wouldn't fit in them. I wouldn't. That's yeah. two um, feet taller than my toddler right now for the people in the room just to put it in perspective. I'm still a foot so taller than the most normal. You're one year old. Also, to put that in perspective, like if you see the Coliseum was built by people that were that short, it's that much more impressive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Seriously, like That's those true. little things, like the pyramids were built by people who were a lot shorter. Tiny boys. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. By tiny boys. boys. I feel like I have to say, I'm sorry, like this is the only, I think this is the only time I'm going to really derail this, but all these <laughs> arguments, I think, right. I don't yeah, know, right. I don't know, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like these arguments are great for someone who is still within that atmosphere of thinking about the Bible as like, a literal thing but like all we're doing is legitimizing stories that don't have to be historical like the bible is so important to me and these stories and these figures and these characters are so important to me but censor uh, edit point I don't give a flying fuck if that's history or not I don't care if it was a giant or like a, a, a dinosaur. Like the historicity of these words does not matter to me. The messages behind them, the mm-hmm. characters, the motivations, the way that people interact with each other, the idea of Christ as embodying love, whether or not that was a human being or not, I don't give a fuck. And like, yeah, it's great to argue these things and, and legitimize and say, okay, here's here, and I, I've been through that too. Like, here's a half step away from what you thought before. Here's another half step away. But, like, where I'm at right now, I don't care if there are tiny people and, and elephants. <laughs> like, how does that affect my life right now? How does tiny that affect how I love people and elephants. How does that affect how I love yeah. people? Right. Well, it's like, I don't remember who, I'm sure, like, it's not like a super unique thing to say, but I think I heard Richard Rohr say it. Oh, yeah. That um, literal truth is the least meaningful kind of truth. Oh, that's amazingly beautiful. You know, like, like, sure, something can, something can be literally true. Like, I ate a sandwich today. Like, was okay. that literally that's true? That's great. Did you? I didn't. Uh, Liar! But, if, <laughs> had, if there's like, if you have like a story, like a myth in the term, like, in the, like, literary sense of a myth. Right. Like, a story that has, like, a deep, yeah. universal... A fable, if you will. Yeah, like, something that... It might not be literally true, or it might be, you know, like, tweaked or whatever, but, like, the core of it, the gist of the story, the the moral of the story, mm-hmm. the, the point of the whole thing is something that transcends literal or non-literal, or, and it's something that can be true for all people in all times. Yeah, totally. Or and that's... That's... Yeah, and that's so much more powerful than yeah. Oh. Moses literally had two stone tablets that would literally cut like yeah. it's yeah. like okay. Right. Well, I mean, think about it this way: like, right. even that's good. Even like forensic science to find out how something actually happened is so difficult, you know. And it doesn't add truth to it, you know. It doesn't add any meaning to it, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like just because you know how something happened in the exact right way. It doesn't make it any more meaningful mm-hmm. or any more uh, right or any more right yeah any more relatable. Yeah, like I heard a yeah. I heard a um, kind of an example of this. Like if you had like imagine someone had <clears throat> um, a family member, a loved one who you know had some like a cancer or some illness, so then they had to go to the hospital. Like they could tell you a very literal description of what happened. We went in at 2.45 p.m. and the doctor gave her this much dose of this medicine. Like, you could tell a very literal description of what happened. There's not much emotion in that. 
You could say, you know, we went in there and we were there in the afternoon. Well, it was actually 11.45, so it wasn't really the afternoon. And you can right. like, you know, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like if you start telling this story and you say someone came in and this this nurse was really you know meaningful Attentive and, and, and like if you tell this story with like the emotions and stuff, you might have details wrong. Maybe it wasn't a nurse. Maybe it was a PA. Maybe it was actually a doctor. Right. You know, like, it you wasn't the a, afternoon yet because it wasn't right. fifteen minutes. Right. So and that, you say, oh, well, you that's not that's not true. Mm-hmm. You didn't tell me the literal story, so now I'm not going to believe anything you like. Right. That's right. preposterous. Right. Yeah. That's like that's, everybody bringing. Looking at all the different gospels and try to compare them and try to make them all mm. like line up, yeah. and it's like, well, the fact that there's different stories and there's different interpretations of what happens actually legitimizes things a little bit more. Because if you listen to people and their accounts of what happened, like if one person saw something happen that like a crime, every person's account of that crime is going to be different. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good, Kaylee. Because it's not even. The same. Even yeah. in like police interviews, yeah. they, if everyone has the same story verbatim, then they, then they know it's that, fabricated. Then they know that it's fake. They know it's fake because everyone has a different perception of what happened. Right. Well, and that goes back to the synoptic gospels. To the synoptic oh. gospels, because uh, wasn't Luke the was Luke the physician? Uh, assumed, yes. Well, assumed whatever physi- a first century physician yeah. means. Luke was the assumed physician. Mm-hmm. Matthew was the tax collector. Correct. Yeah. And Levi. then Matthew, Luke, Mark was the historian. Mm-hmm. So it's written from their perspective. And why? Pe- uh, so a lot of the stories in the Synoptic Gospels are the, are different. They're the same but different because it's three different people's interpretation and take on that. Why, to me, that gives validity that maybe that story did happen because there were three different people with three different accounts. And some said a different thing. Some put an emphasis on maybe something else than the other. And that, to me, just shows the power of story. And when we all, like, if we all watch a movie, we're all going to pick something out of the movie that's maybe more meaningful than the other. That's doesn't mean either of us are wrong. That just means that's where our brain went, or that's where our mind and went. And some people, when they tell a story, they kind of draw on a lot of things, really make it visual for you. Some people just get right to the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah. yeah, I heard there's a there's a guy named Alexander Shia. I listened to a podcast <clears throat> with him, and he's got he's good stuff. He's got a really interesting, and I I want to look into it more. But it was it was intriguing enough that it stuck with me. But he he says he's he looks at the gospels, the four gospels, as like um kind of paralleling the hero's journey. Mm. Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, Josie? And so Joseph Campbell has this theory that like all important stories kind of follow a same pattern where you've got okay. like a character that kind of comes from humble beginnings, mm-hmm. has something that he is supposed to do but doesn't like resists it. Then he gets a mentor. Then yeah. he goes on the journey. Then he finds something. Yeah. That changes him, uh-huh. or he finds like a treasure or wisdom or something, uh-huh. and then comes back to where he started from to like improve the people in his. Oh, era. that's beautiful! And yeah. so it's like Star Wars. Yeah, I was going to say Luke Potter. Skywalker, Odysseus, yeah, like Harry all, Potter. Like, and so it's this Joseph Campbell's theory is like there's something so core in us that stories like that's what makes a good story. Like that's what has meaning for us. Like there's something artistic and beautiful mm. about storytelling 
Alexander Shia says he and he rearranges the gospels. He he thinks the gospels should be in the order of Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. Hmm. So he switches yeah. John and Luke because, because because Luke should follow Acts technically if you right. think about it. Yeah, but and that's but, not the way, I know that's not the point of what you right. Saying, but he's but, saying like kind of how each of those authors tell the story. Like Matthew has a story about Jesus, like where he comes from, like him starting his ministry, and then Mark has him kind of like shows like the struggle with Jesus and like him going and then you've got John and then Luke is kind of like the kind of after a lot of the after kind of post-resurrection like really about Mm -hmm. what does it mean being post-Jesus which is really interesting like that that's like a really interesting perspective of why there's four gospels like what the different gospels do like what their purpose is to kind of tell that story like in that like primal just human way that we uh-huh. like stories. Dude, Eric, using the structure that you just described and laid out of the hero's journey of humble means, coming to realize something, encountering something, then coming back to where you were, as as a human, let's assume that Jesus, for the conversation, let's mm-hmm. assume Jesus was a human, which we may not all agree on, but within that context within that story can you frame Jesus as the hero in that in the hero's journey can you tell me that story right now uh Alexander Shia who's read the hero with a thousand faces I have by Joey Campbell I really want to hear this I'm guilty I don't don't know I mean you should read the hero with a thousand faces it basically tells you exactly what you're asking I want to hear Eric try I want to hear Eric do it um, well, he was born to an unwed mother uh-huh. in a, like, pigsty of a, yep. like, literally and metaphorically, like, of a village that uh-huh. was, like, on the outskirts. Um, He's also a demigod. Well. No, we're, we're leaving out that part. Leaving that part of the <laughs> he, he, you know, so he's, like, learning, he, like, is comes up like learning from rabbis and like reading scriptures and stuff and I you could like his baptism could kind of be like the point where he is like commissioned for like this task. Is that him encountering the the thing he had to find? Well encounter that... like encountering his mission. Okay. And then, and then like, like and like God, the Holy Spirit, like coming down as a dove or whatever, like could be interpreted as like the hit the mentor figure. Uh, well, there's also lots of people who think that that's the actual moment that he before that he was human. Yeah, and, and that's after that he became divine. He inherited the deity. Or yeah. Something, yeah. something like that. Um, sure. that's, or that's John, how it reads. When John you just... could be mentor. Yeah, yeah, his cousin figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he's definitely a follower of John. Right. Yeah. So then he's then he goes and there's like. Uh, the forty like the forty days of temptation in the desert is like struggle. Well, that was pre Holy Spirit descending, though, right? He came out of the desert yes. and then yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that could be kind of like the because like in the, the character journey it's like there's resisting the call and so there's like some struggle okay. and then accepting the call yeah. Um, and then like his ministry is him like developing this story on this journey. Uh-huh. And I don't know, like finding the. Well, here's another here's another Richard Rohr quote that I'll use as kind of like what the, like him finding like the the thing. By the like way, the I have to say Richard Rohr is amazing. If you don't know who Richard Rohr is, look his work up. 
fantastic. And yeah, keep going. So one of the things that Richard Rohr said, and this is a Franciscan thing, he said, like this isn't him, like he doesn't claim this, but like he he uses it, but like um, Jesus didn't die to change God's mind about humanity. Jesus died to change humanity's mind about God. Ooh, oh, baby. Yes. Goosebumps. That's fire. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like so that, so that, opposite of oh, that's says. beautiful. Right. So that could be like, hit like the treasure that he is like, both finding and then coming oh. back to like give to people. He's like reinterpreting religion for him, Judaism, but for humanity, like religion mm-hmm. or the, con- the conceptualization right. of God. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> well, also, like, going to the temple, like, going back to the heart of the story and, like, showing that there's nothing behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. You, know? Uh, um, you know what I mean? So, like, going back to the heart of his his faith and chilling in it for what it is. You know, Shan saying, yeah. you know, there's no God here. something else. Yeah, right. right. So, That's a Peter Rollins kind of references. The fact that, like, I was taught when, when the... <laughs> I know we're, like, we have abandoned... Our theme, the topic, <laughs> like we're not I talking about. To, I, I still haven't talked about oh, great. any of it. Can I finish my thought? And, yes, you, you and then go you go. It. Like I was taught, like when the temple or when the curtain in the temple ripped, it was saying, "Oh, now because of the mediator, the priest with a capital P, because of Jesus, now we have access to God without needing another mediator. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. a permanent mediator." But then Peter Rollins posits that. That was actually showing us that there's there's no contained, concealed God behind this curtain. There's no finite like God that you have to you know you have to change your your robes before you go before Him. You have to change before you write the word Yahweh and then go back into your old you know your old uh, civilian clothing or whatever your civvies mm-hmm. and. I think that's really powerful to say that, hey, guess what? You guys were wrong. Like, there's no God contained in this box. Like, guess what? It ripped open. Even just as a, as a story, like like I said, the historicity doesn't matter to me at all. But, like, just as a metaphor, that is a beautiful thing to say that there's no God back the here. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it is everywhere. It is. If it's anywhere, it's everywhere. If it's nowhere, it's it's nowhere. Did God destroy? Or did we destroy it ourselves? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> Just saying. Yes. As a Christian agnostic, I can say that I, I don't know, and <laughs> no. I don't really care, wow. I, and I don't care. That's why I like being in the camp that I'm in. Yeah. Doesn't sure. really matter. Kayleen, please <laughs> tell us about your. So background. going back. Oh my. Stan. Back to the topic. topic. I grew We're up. really bad at staying on topic. Yeah. I grew group. I know where. It's okay. I'm abstract random. I can handle that. So, um, I grew up Lutheran, and so a lot of the stories that everybody's telling about the evangelical church or the EG or any of these things, they're, they're, I had no... There's nothing in context for me about that other than friends and people that I know that have grown up in those contexts. So the church I grew up in was very liberal. We had women pastors. <gasps> we had people who I know. <laughs> the shame. The shame. We had, I mean, and we, we did we did youth group trips. We, I did catechism like, like Josh did. I got confirmed and I was baptized. Because Lutheranism is like Catholic light, right? 
Well, some people, Amen. some people would say that. Some people would say that. That is, yeah. I mean, just kidding. I, <laughs> I, I did, did do. You know, I, I did do the catechism. I, I was baptized as an infant who, and uh, I, I was confirmed, and that was for me was a big time for me to. We had to do like this whole statement of faith in front of everybody in the church, and it was this big thing. And it, for me, that really was me saying. This is what I believe. That's what baptism was like for me. Yeah, it's it's I and and in the Lutheran Church, confirmation is is just a continuation of baptism. It's like mm-hmm. a confirmation of baptism, so to speak, when you're old enough to make that to make those you know that confirmation whatever to make that statement. So, you know, we went. We went to Chicago and did youth group trips and at Reading Green and and you know I went to a church where it was like a Baptist church but it was Lutheran and it was like two hours long and and it was very like African American based and that was amazing because I'd never seen Lutherans be more like Baptists at that point I didn't hi <laughs> Josh I'm trying to sneak back Josh is creeping back from the bathroom. <laughs> A listener. We have creaky wood floors. <laughs> so you know, like for me, all of those, all of those, like the emphasis, the youth group stuff and the community. Oh my goodness, those were all. Everybody has to pee now, apparently. Um, what happens when you drink? Gin? Gin. I know that. So, or if um, you have bladders. Well, that's also true. So, all of the youth group stuff that we did, you know, that was all to like little community but in a larger sense the lutheran church is is all over you know all over the world and we would go to these youth group gatherings some of them were local some of them were national so it really depended on what was going on but there was always this sense that god was in the world and that god was working in the world and that we were supposed to be part of working with god in the world we were god's hands we were god's feet we were the people that were going out and making a difference and telling people about God and telling people about God through service. Or at least that's how I interpreted most of my childhood was spent serving other people in those ways. And that is something I think that was very important that was instilled in me. <clears throat> so all of this whole like true stuff and like all of these, uh, you know, for me, it, God is love, nothing else matters. And I don't know if I got that from Most Lutheran right. Church. I actually got that from Tony Tony Campolo and his whole. Oh, I love him. Yeah, because oh I, my I, god, I wanted to, I wanted to do. Did you see his special with Jay Baker? No, I didn't. Oh my god, I have to look that up. Oh. But I I wanted to do like uh, the missionary thing that that Tony. Campolo I love him. Does I don't know if they still do it, but they back then they were doing it. That was always something I really really wanted to do. It never happened because of life circumstances but that is the thing that I grabbed onto even after when I was in college and after that because now I'm not really sure where I stand I've been to a lot of different churches I'm a, I'm a chaplain I, I can go wherever wherever anybody is in their faith journey it doesn't really matter to me my job is to hear your story and to help you find God within that story whatever that looks like even if you're not calling God God, I don't. I what don't, do you mean by God? But well, fine. that's the, that's the thing. What is God like? We're 
I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never seen God. I know, and I know it just got real deep. Well, do you see God in the wind? You know, like you know, there's that whole metaphor, that whole like you see the wind, but you can that, feel the effects. But you of can wind. feel the effects. Have of you and then, ever heard the wolf cry? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking no, the same thing. No, and, well, here's the thing: it's the, it's, it's the whole. That's intro, a song about God. It's the whole intro. It's it the is, whole intro to that to the DC talk song. Stop creaking. That's the whole, what I was gonna say. The whole I intro. I drink. The whole intro. <laughs> the bathroom. Brian took his drink to the bathroom. No, no he left I didn't. It outside. Wait, you he don't? Left it outside. <laughs> and was, so it's that whole idea. Like, no, yeah. You, do you see God? Well, do you see the wind? I mean, like it. I'm just saying, this Old Testament God who shows up in the garden and walks with you and talks with you yeah. and sticks his hand out of a cloud and, and writes on some fucking stone tablets. Yeah. I've never seen that. <laughs> The God who shoots down fire from the sky onto your altar yeah. to prove to the mm-hmm. pagans that he's real? Yeah. I've never fucking seen that dude. I know. I haven't really I seen that. I see you're not either. Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> or Pentecostal. I have something else that I thought of. Do when it. We were halfway through our little bunny trail um, that I appreciate growing up. I don't. If other denominations had this, I'm not sure You know what what they called it, but in the Assemblies of God, we had Bible quiz. Oh. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know if some churches or schools mm-hmm. maybe have, like, I've heard, like, quiz bowl, but something like that. So, basically, I was in it from 7th grade to 12th grade. Did you have your um, sword drill? My what? Sword drill? I know, I I know that term. That I know. Means. I know that term. What does that mean? <laughs> Who can find it's a Deuteronomy yeah. 10 7 first? I won, Go! I won every fucking sword drill. I had those little tabs. We did Cheater. Cheater. You can't do sword drill. You can't do the tabs. Everyone on who's listening, <laughs> sword drill for evangelicals. Was when you're whether in Bible quiz, whether you're in Sunday school, you or camp. I guess Lutherans did it too. I did it like one or two times. I've heard of it, but I've never heard it called. You would have like four or five students with their Bibles closed, Mm -hmm. no tabs, no tabs, no tabs, no tabs, and you would say uh, First Timothy three twelve. And the first person that would get to First Timothy three twelve, I won every. Not only would win it, but a lot of times you'd get like a little prize, like maybe a piece of candy or something. Oh, and it was it, it was God. saying from God. It was, <laughs> not from God. I don't know if it was Skyman candy. Skyman candy. Hashtag Skyman candy. Did you Keep going. The Skyman. Sorry that we derailed it. Do something like copyright that, like Sky- the Skyman. No, the Skyman candy. No, oh, oh, it reminds so. me of Bible Man. Has anyone heard of Bible yep. Man? Yes. Oh. So, yeah, he's so a superhero. Actually, so, yeah. So Catholics were adults, and we just played fucking Bible Jeopardy. <laughs> I don't think like we were just like let's That's take an existing true. game that works. Bible <laughs> Jeopardy, Bible oh, Jeopardy, or Sword Drill. Yeah. What's cooler? Yeah. What sounds creepier? Answer hey, what is? How, how else can you say? Jeopardy logo, come on. Jeopardy song. So, <laughs> drill. So, anyways, I lost. I lost. Back to Bible quiz. Yeah, go ahead. So, we had a different book, or sometimes it was, you know, a couple books. Like if it was first and second Corinthians, or if there were shorter books, we might have two or three books, um, all in one per year. But we had our book, and uh, we'd go. Th- how we did it is. We'd go through a chapter every week, and different things like names or places, I forget which one, were in bold, 
There are things that were italicized. Um, and we would take the chapter, how many people were on the team, we divided up uh, how many verses were in there, and say, you know, there was 20 verses and there was, you know, like five people or whatever, and that's what, like four verses per person. So it's like one through four and then so on. You had to have those memorized because when you had your matches, sometimes it would say, quote this verse. And if you pause and if you said, um, or if you repeated, oh, pause and repeated a word again, that was not a complete quote. So you oh have questions God, like I... that. But then you'd have, but but then you'd, so I mean, they had some of those where you had to memorize it, but then they're like, well, who was this person or, um, you know, a certain place or you had to like, if they kind of, like, if the other team was just kind of like, hey, that's not a valid answer, you had to research on the spot to kind of contest, you know, why, what you said or if you explained like a certain story or situation in those verses, you know, how that was was correct. So, I mean, when we, when we had practice, like, we really got to study in detail for like a, an hour and a half, couple hours every Wednesday, like two hours just on one chapter. We had a really great coach. I think I had the same, like, head coach. He was the same coach, you know, throughout the whole time, junior high and high school. Um, But he would ask us these questions like, okay, you've memorized these verses, people, place, you know, whatever, these quotes. But, you know, what do you think this meant? Like, what did this mean to you? What do you think they really were talking about? Or this is the way you perceive it when you heard the Bible story growing up. But do you think that's what they really meant? And so that wasn't as, that wasn't really as typical as what Brian had mentioned before with the Assemblies of God, seeming more of like a baby denomination of not like too deep theology, with theology. But I feel like that's where I got a lot of um, a lot deeper with theology, you know, within the Assemblies of God. And this is starting, you know, like seventh grade, and you're with your other friends, you know, your other peers that are in you know middle school and high school, so. You know, it's, it's it wasn't something that was intimidating that it's you, like, the eighth grader with a bunch of, you know, 40, 50-year-olds and, you Creepy. know, like, not not feeling like, oh, I can't, I don't know as much as them because I'm just, like, a kid. But, but no, like, our coach, like, didn't, if we had a question about something, didn't make us feel like, oh, like, that's kind of a dumb question or that's, that's kind of a question, that's kind of juvenile to ask this or that, like. He really saw validity and you know what we were saying and asking and you know I I feel like it really helped to you know to research and and I mean I think I still have all my books somewhere where they're all like highlighted notes all over the place but I think that was probably the first start for me of looking in scripture and seeing okay who wrote it what was their original intent you know of mm-hmm. writing it yeah. and you know, was it was it written for that time period for a certain situation? You know, not something to be taken literally, but to learn. You know, just from the example of that story, like, you know, you could you could look at any like fairy tale, and be like, you know, you could you could look at you could look at Moana, Frozen, anything like Moana. that. We do love Moana in this house too. Ava um, loves Moana. I love Moana too. Well, I will admit. I have one pot from that movie. Um, but you could watch a movie like that and and still really get like powerful messages about the 